Welcome back to the Bulls Beat Bulls fans. Doug Tonis here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls. And there has been enough weird Bulls stuff going on that it woke me up and made me record an actual podcast. So let's just jump right in. First, major injury, Zach Levine. Major conspiracy, fan, uh, Bulls Nation. So Zach Levine announces he's going to have surgery a couple days before the trade deadline. A lot of fans all of a sudden think these two things are related because the rumors were he might go to Detroit, worst team in the league, probably doesn't want to be on Detroit. So uh, comes up with a surgery to get out of the trade. Look, I'm not saying Zach wants to go to Detroit. I'm not saying Zach wouldn't try to get out of going to Detroit. I can think both those things could be true. If I'm Zach Levine, I don't want to be in Detroit either, and I would try to get out of it. I would not have a surgery to get out of it. This could be solved with a phone call. You could just have your agent call Detroit and say, hey, you realize we've been out for a long time with the same injury, tried to come back and failed. We are considering a surgery to resolve this. That would take us out for the rest of the season. We don't know what the long-term prognosis is. And Detroit, who already seem miles and miles apart from the Bulls on compensation for Zach Levine, probably now is scared enough that they go, wait, what the hell were we thinking? And they back out of it. Like, it's not really hard to make this all go away without having a surgery and without doing anything illegal. You don't have to say, I won't report. You don't have to say, I don't want to come there. You can just say, hey, look, here's what's going on medically with me. It's not really good. And Detroit probably just backs out of that all on their own. And if they're not ready to back out of it yet, you could also say things like, given that you're not going to be in the playoffs, I would most definitely have the surgery if I get traded to your team because there's nothing to play for. You know, I maybe would play through this if I was being traded to the Lakers and had a chance to win a title. But look, that's not where you're at. So if you trade for me, I'm definitely having this procedure. And then that actually has the same impact of having the procedure. Now, maybe Detroit doesn't care. Maybe Detroit would say, perfect, we're tanking anyway. You're not going to disrupt our tank. We're going to get you for expirings. And then you'll be here next year when we try to reload, you know, as a veteran score to help whatever. So the impact of the surgery in either of these situations from Detroit's perspective is the same. So there's no reason to actually undergo a surgery to make this uh, happen this way. You know, if the surgery would scare them off. The threat is just as good as the actuality. Now, if Zach doesn't have the surgery and like after the trade deadline, all of a sudden he's like, you know what? Never mind. I'm going to try and play through it. I'll come back and say I was wrong on this. This whole thing was probably Zach trying to get out of a trade. But it just doesn't seem to make sense that you would need to go that way. And I can't remember a time ever a guy announced he was going to have a surgery and then didn't have a surgery. And the odd thing is, like, all this talk about the conspiracy theory about Zach trying to avoid a trade to the Pistons has actually then covered up what is really a big problem, which is they're like, Zach is going in for foot surgery. He's going in for foot surgery. Like, how? For what? They've not actually talked about what he's getting surgery on his foot for. Like, what are they fixing? What is wrong? What's the name of the procedure? Like, none of that information exists, which is causing a lot of these conspiracy theory, theory thoughts. But the scarier thing is, this all of a sudden sounds like a Lonzo Ball situation. We don't know what is going on with this guy. 
And so the bigger problem is not actually that Zach is having the surgery and that maybe this happened at an inconvenient time. The bigger problem is you got three years left and now you really got to think about how healthy is he going to even be if you're trying to build with him. And the earliest, the earliest you're going to be able to trade Zach Levine now is next year's trade deadline. And probably realistically, maybe not even until the offseason. He's going to have to rebuild his value before he can be traded. Like you're not in a position that you can attach an asset to Zach Levine to get rid of him and then be better because you can do something else. You're too far away. You've given up too many assets already. You're already down too much stuff. You're not going anywhere. And so at this point, you kind of just have to eat Zach's contract and hope that Zach can give you the best of whatever Zach can give you regardless. And maybe if Zach has this surgery, maybe if he's able to come back, maybe he can get back to the player who is scoring like 26 points a game on 50% shooting from the floor, 40% from three, 90% from the line for a while. Like, you know, he was a really great scorer. The problem with Zach's trade value, people have really focused it on the contract. The problem with Zach's trade value is not the contract. The problem is, for three years prior to this season, he was probably averaging about 62% true shooting percentage and scoring 25 points a game. And he was giving you three-level scoring. And then now, his just numbers are like way off. He's like at 20 points a game, and his true shooting percentage is down to 57%. So a guy who's like an offensive-only player who's giving you tremendous volume and tremendous efficiency has a lot of value to your team. A guy who is an offensive-only player who's giving you league average efficiency and moderate volume, and it makes the max, is not valuable at all. And so it's really Zach's degradation of play that has caused his value to go down, not his contract. Like, remember, everyone's like, oh, I can't believe we signed this guy. You could have traded him in the offseason or last deadline for multiple first-round picks. Now, crappy first-round picks, mind you. I'm not trying to say we're going to get, like, just this massive haul for Zach. But you could have definitely traded him for assets had you acted earlier. And now you're in a position where you can't. And that's really due to his change in play and now the injuries and not due to the idea that he was just paid all this money. The contract is bad relative to his new level of play, not relative to the play he had for three straight years. And so if you can predict a guy is just going to radically change his level of play that's been consistent for three years, you know, hats off to you. You know, you'd be a great GM if you just know which guys are going to massively fall off a cliff and do so in the middle of their prime. And Zach definitely had some flags that made that more likely, given he always seemed to have a high level of wear and tear on him. Like, it doesn't surprise me that he's a guy that's maybe broken down. But still, it's the change in play. It's not the deal that's caused Zach's trade value to go down. So let's move on to the second injury situation, which is Patrick Williams. And this one is maybe even more concerning And I feel like it's like actually super under-discussed. So the Bulls, out of nowhere, they send out a thing that says, Pat Williams has acute bone edema. What I think is interesting about this one, and something that I've also not really seen mentioned, is, you know, Pat hurt his ankle, and, you know, he was playing not so well. So he had a really nice December. You start seeing him play a little better. I mean, like, it wasn't like he was on fire, like people really got hyped about 
him doing just a little bit better. But regardless, he had a nice December, showed incremental improvement. And then he had this ankle injury. The ankle was his right ankle. So now this injury is on his left foot. So maybe it's a compensatory injury. Who knows? But this is a different injury than the one he was suffering with that seemed to kind of nag at him and slow him down. So this one kind of came out of nowhere. And I think that's just a little interesting. I've not really seen that discussed a whole lot. You know, people seem to have just not paid as much attention to like, oh, yeah, it's a foot. This is probably the same thing. It's just not getting better. No, these are two separate injuries that are bothering them. Now, you know, when you get an injury on one side of the body and then another, the other side, it can be related in terms of how you compensate for the, the hurt leg or whatever. But anyway, just wanted to point that out. So acute bone edema, also known as a bone bruise, a.k.a. the same shit Lonzo Ball had that he's now been out two and a half years for, maybe. This feels like the foot version of what Lonzo Ball had. And it, just go look up bone edema. Like, so first of all, if you look up acute bone edema, you just won't find anything. The only thing you'll find is reference to this Patrick Williams injury. That's it. You won't find anything else. But bone edema is just like always bad. Like the minimum recovery time for bone edema is three months and the maximum is two years. And so I want to be like precise here. The Bulls said they encourage active rest. Shout out to Lou Aldang, who was encouraged to have active rest while dealing with a stress fracture that the Bulls doctors didn't diagnose. Look, seriously, I would never use that phrase again if I was Chicago. I don't care if it's medical. I'd come up with some different way to phrase that. Anyway, he's encouraged for active rest, and they're going to reevaluate in two weeks. They didn't say he might be back in two weeks. They said, we're going to reevaluate in two weeks. Like, that implies he's going to miss a fair amount of time more than two weeks. Like, two weeks is just like, yeah, we'll look at it again and see where we are. Not, he'll be practicing, he'll be going full speed. Now, maybe it won't be this bad. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe the acute and acute bone edema is like, we caught this super early and we think we can fix it pretty quickly or whatever. I don't know. It's not an easy thing to diagnose or find any information about. All I would say is, boy, does that sound potentially highly, highly questionable as to what it means for Patrick Williams. And if this news gets a lot worse than what you've seen, do not be surprised. There's definitely enough thought here that this could be a much bigger problem than is being reported right now, at least just from me looking it up. Now, this also puts Pat in a really weird contract situation this summer. He's going to be a restricted free agent. If we go with what I said and that bone edema is like three months minimum, Pat's probably done for the season. And like bone bruises, which can sometimes take two years to fully recover from, like, man, what kind of deal does he even get in the offseason? Who is bidding on him? You know, how can he prove his health? Like, maybe he's totally fine in July, but he can't prove it, you know, at the time people are signing people. Like, this is just going to be a really, really weird situation. 
And so it opens up the idea for the Bulls that, yeah, you could get Pat on a value contract. But what is a value contract if he's the next Lonzo Ball? Like, it's just, it's just a weird thing. It's going to be a weird thing. Now, maybe he's back in a month. Like I said, maybe the acute means we got this right away. This is actually a very small version of a problem that can be big, but it's not going to be big. I don't know. And if so, all of this doesn't matter. But it definitely doesn't give Pat a lot of time to, like, prove his value. Like, at the end of the day, he's going to be four years in the league and averaging, like, nine, ten points a game for four straight years with very little rebounding and incremental improvements on defense and a nice set open catch-and-shoot three-point shot. And, like, what's that going to be worth? Who knows? Who knows? Just it's going to be a really interesting situation now with Pat Williams in the offseason, potentially. Like I said, if he comes back in a month, I don't think I'd see him before that is my guess. But if he comes back in a month, maybe there's still a little time to do something. But it's pretty hard for me to see Pat ramping up his total numbers meaningfully, given how much of the season has gone by and missing, you know, whatever number of games happen over that stretch. All right, let's dive into the trade deadline. So trade deadline, if I'm the Bulls, and I've been saying this forever, you got to get off these veteran players. Look, I've posted a lot on Twitter if you followed my timeline. Nikola Vucevic is an absolute fucking disaster. Like, absolutely terrible. He is having one of the worst three-point shooting seasons in the history of the NBA. I posted, I believe, and I don't, I've not tracked this today, but at one point, there were only two people in the history of the NBA who took as many threes a game as Vooch and shot a worse percentage. In the history of the NBA, there are only two people who have jacked up more shots than Nikola Vucevic from three and hit less of them. That is historically bad. 93%, I want to say, of his threes are wide open. No one is within six feet. He does not space the floor. His post offense, which I posted about earlier, 0.87 points per possession in the post would be 30 points per 100 possessions worse than the worst offense in the NBA. He is a disaster in the post. Almost everyone is a disaster in the post, to be fair, which is why teams do not run through the post anymore. It's just not a good, efficient shot in the modern NBA. He is the least efficient center that has played 500 minutes, and the gap between him and the second least efficient center is massive. It would encompass the same gap between the second and, like, 10 other guys. And his career average and true shooting percentage would still make him the least efficient center in the NBA. This is not a new thing for him. Nikola Vucevic is highly skilled, but he's highly skilled in the sense that he can get you a bad shot in 50 ways and he can't get you a good shot in any way and he doesn't play defense. He's on decline. He's at an age where it's going to get worse. Anything you can do to get out of his deal for just straight expirings 
or even just a guy who extends into next year. So you only get out of one year of it, but you get another bad deal for next year. Do it. It is worth it. Get out of this deal as soon as you can. DeMar DeRozan, free agent coming up. He is having a very poor year in terms of his efficiency. Age has caught up to him. His game does not fit the modern NBA. He is a floor raiser and a ceiling lowerer. You need to move on from DeMar if you can find someone else who would take him. If you bring DeMar back, you have to do so at like $10 million or less, or it will be a disaster similar to how you just brought Vooch back this year on a disaster contract. You should be looking to move on or let him walk. One of those things. The luxury tax ceiling is just inches away from where the bulls are. They have very little room to operate right now. And it looks like they're going to be saddled with Zach Levine for a long time. So now you're going to have to figure out how you jettison salary. And not paying DeMar DeRozan to be 35, 36, and 37 here on a massive decline is a really good start. If you can trade him, do so. Alex Caruso, I love you. You're one of my favorites. You're one of the only people I love watching that still is on this team. You and Kobe White, a little bit of Io DeSumo. But it's time to go somewhere else. One, what are the odds that Alex Crusoe wants to sign back here when his contract is over? Do you think Alex Crusoe wants to be with this team, which will likely be rebuilding in his last contract in his prime? No. He has more value to another team that is going to have two playoff runs than he does to us. His value will never be higher. Love Alex Crusoe. Great player. Time to move on. Get some assets. Start looking for what the next iteration of this group is. You have plenty of guard depth. Andre Drummond, I've said it before, we radically underplay him. For a team that is in a luxury tax bind and can't do a lot salary-wise, Andre Drummond's $3 million salary and ability to probably play capable minutes at center like 20-25 a game, start in a pinch for you if you have an injury. That seems like a fantastic deal if you're a team like Boston and you're worried about Chris Stapp's health and you want another legit center on the market, but you also can't pay a lot and you have a lot of trade matching restrictions. A guy like Drummond who can come in and chew up a ton of minutes for you doesn't need any shots, doesn't need any game planning around, can fit into whatever you're doing because all he's going to do is crash the glass, that's probably a really good stopgap for you. And there's other teams that probably could be thinking the same thing because they have these other constraints, but a guy making the minimum, super easy to add, can fit into a lot of different trade exceptions that sit around the league. It makes his value maybe absurdly high relative to his on-court value. It would not surprise me if you could get a first-round pick for Andre Drummond just because that salary figure is so low. Not a great first-round pick, mind you, but a first-round pick, and you should do so. It's going to tank your season because you don't have any tall guys left, but you should do so. I want to address one other thing I've seen a lot lately, and it's a narrative that annoys me because it is rooted in truth 
but it's wrong. And the narrative is, the Bulls don't want to win. They only want to make the first round of the playoffs. I want you to sit back and think about, you're talking with Michael Reinsdorf, and you really want to say, and he's, he's discussing all the stuff for the Bulls, he's really excited about it, and you really want to say, Michael, I don't think you want to get past the first round. Do you really think that that is true? Look, I think the Bulls run this like a business and they want to make money. Are you excited about this Bulls team fighting for the play-in? Do you know anyone else excited about this Bulls team making the play-in? Do you have a bunch of fans, friends who are fans that want to watch the Chicago Bulls be this bad? Because as far as I could tell, the answer is no in all these cases. No one gives a crap about this team or making the play-in or losing in the first round or being 500. If you do not have hope, if you do not have a young star, if you do not have something that's entertaining and worth watching, you are not going to draw fans, and the Bulls do not have it. They will make a ton more money if they get to the second round. So yes, I think they're greedy. I think they want money. But winning is what gets you those things. Now, you can say, I don't think they'd pay the luxury tax like the Warriors to win a title. And I would say, damn right, they won't. And when we are in a position to win the title and we won't pay the luxury tax, I will be right there with you yelling at them. But no one in the organization wants this outcome. This is a crap fest. It's not making them any money. It is terrible. What they want is they wanted the next John Paxson. So John Paxson and Gar Foreman, I think they wore out their welcome. Maybe the game passed them by. Weren't able to execute all the stuff they did in the past. But for like a 14-year run, I want to say it was, they were 500 or better 13 of the 14 years. They constantly turned over the roster. They were never in salary trouble. They always had a ton of young players and hope. They're like ascending for a huge amount of that time, trying to get better. They had a few second, uh, sorry, uh, first round playoff series wins. I got to the ECF once. Derek Rose, which was the only big stroke of luck they had, doesn't tear his ACL. They probably would have contended for like five years. They want someone like that who is able to create at a floor an average present with a ceiling of a really promising future and then always keep the money reasonable. That's what they wanted. So I agree. They are aiming for at least the first round of the playoffs. But people have then replaced that at least first round with only first round. And that's not true. They would love to get as far as they can. It's insane to think otherwise. Now, people will complain they don't spend into the tax. No one, no one spends into the tax to be a first round loser. If you are, like your Golden State, it's because you're locked into it from other times when you thought you could win. Not because you're like, wow, I'm a lottery team and I want to get to the first round, so I'm going to spend in the, into the tax to do it. That's not how that works. Spending into the tax actually does not increase the quality of your roster very much. The money ramps up incredibly high relative to the talent on the team. That's why people only do it when they are very, very close to winning.
The Bulls actually have the ninth highest payroll in the NBA this year. I'm not saying that's super high. What I am saying is they aren't the ninth best team. They're like the 20th best team or something in that nature. So they have to do better with what they have, and it starts with our front office not being goddamn awful and just overpaying for every move they make. And I'm going to wrap it up by talking about Arturis Karnaschovas and his general idiocy. I love the term fundamental attribution error. It is a term that means things do not work the way you think they work. You attribute success to the wrong things, and thus you chase the wrong things. Arturis Karnaschovas, great at this fallacy. Mediocre teams do not convince good players to come here. Adding Nikola Vucevic and DeMar DeRozan and whatever and winning 40 games does not convince the next good player to come and attract stars. There have been a ton of stars who have been moved since we brought in this core. Not a single one had the Bulls on their list as a team they wanted to go play for. Not one. That's not how that works. Players go to teams that have a chance to win the title. Or they go where there is the most money if there is a significant difference. Or they go for some other personal reason. They're going home. They like the weather. They want a TV deal in L.A., want to party in Miami Beach. Basically, it's like we go to L.A. or Miami or wherever we can win or wherever there's the most money. That's it. That's where players go. Maybe there's an oddball other thing here or there, but that explains 98% of where players move. Second thing, culture is not built by management in the NBA. You turn over your roster probably one-third of the players every year. Culture is the guys on the team and maybe your head coach. This idea that you can build up a culture with some set of players, then bring in different players and keep the culture is insane. That's not how that works. I'm not saying you don't want as good a culture as you can with the players that you have. Of course you do. But culture is not durable within an organization as the players change, and you change so many players every year. Your culture is really set by your best few players. Everyone follows their lead. So if you need to change your culture, you're going to probably need to change those guys. Player development is not managed by adding in a ton of staff and it is not managed by adding in teammates who are really good. DeMar DeRozan's existence on the Bulls is not developing other players. That's not to say he's not a mentor. I'm sure he is. Nazi Mohammed, when he was like 39, was a mentor. There's lots of guys who can be mentors. Player development happens 
when a guy works with his own private coach all offseason on his skills. Players develop in the offseason. Players fit into the scheme that the coach wants to run and practice during the season. But the player development is almost always exclusively on the player. Bringing in other players because you think they help other guys develop, that's not how that works. Continuity does not create wins. Talent create wins. Now, continuity helps. A great talent playing together for a longer period of time will get incrementally better. But when you don't have it, keeping it together will not make a major difference. This is a small incremental factor. It is not the factor. I probably got a whole bunch more. I, I could get into sunk cost theory. Arturis Karnaschovas going to this trade deadline. Casey Johnson pointed out he's made six trades since he's been here. Only two of them have involved the player he brought in. I noted those two people were Al Farouk Aminu, who we got only as salary filler on a bad contract that we were forced to take, which we later shifted out and had to give up a pick to San Antonio to get, convince them to take him. And Garrett Temple, who we brought in on a two-year, I think it was like $5 million deal, and has played 1,300 minutes in the NBA after the trade. Amino never played again. He has never moved on from a significant player he brought in. Maybe the most significant player he moved on from was Derek Jones Jr., and that was a mistake. That one probably paralyzes him. No problem moving on from the Gar Pax guys, but boy, does he think his own decisions are the bomb. Got to get rid of these guys. It's the only way it's going to get better. All right. I'm going to wrap it up. That'll do it for this edition of the Bulls Beat. Great talking to you. At this rate, maybe three months, but I'll hope for sooner.